Hello, everyone. I am Frank Place, director of the CGIR Research Program on Policies, Institutions, and Markets, or PIM for short. And I am pleased to welcome you, welcome you to the PIM webinar on determinants of rural youth migration throughout the developing world. Our speaker today is Alan Debra. Alan is a senior research fellow in the Markets, Trade, and Institutions Division at the International Food Policy Research Institute. He also is a member of the PIM team and he helps to coordinate our, our research on value chains. Prior to joining IFPRI, he was an assistant professor of economics at Williams College. In his research, Alan focuses on understanding the evolution of rural labor markets and developing economies and the effects of migration on source households. He has also conducted evaluations of conditional cash transfer programs and other agricultural interventions. Alan has a PhD in agricultural and research, resource economics from the University of California at Davis. Um, before I hand over to Alan, let me remind how we proceed. Our speaker will begin shortly with a presentation that you will see on your screens. The presentation will last for about 30 minutes. During the presentation, we invite listeners to send in questions via the chat window on the right side of your screens. We will collate the questions and group any that are similar in content and pose them to our speaker. And once uh, we're in the Q&A session, we will have this uh, back and forth with Alan on answering as many questions as we can. We are handling the questions in this way to make the best use of our one hour together. And we are recording the webinar. We'll make it available on our website shortly after the live event. So with that, I will turn it over to Alan. Welcome. Well, thanks, thanks, Frank, uh, and thank all of you for, for being online. Um, I want to start my talk by motivating with really two, what I would call two statistical facts, if we can get the computer to work. And the first one is that voluntary, the real motivation is that voluntary migration uh, rather than forced migration plays, we know that it plays a central role in economic development. So first fact is that countries with a higher GDP always have a lower share of labor in agriculture, uh, meaning that migrants are, they may go to, to urban areas, they may go to other rural areas, but they always go somewhere. Um, they, they move out of agriculture. Uh, it took me about five minutes, knowing this fact, it took me about five minutes to, to construct this graph um, which shows little three-letter uh, three-letter abbreviations for countries, um, and basically I looked at the world development indicators. I took the log GDP per capita, G uh, the gross domestic product per capita, put it on the y-axis, and took the share of labor in agriculture and put it on the x-axis. And you'll see that up at the top, you see countries like LUX, Luxembourg, NOR, Norway, IRL is pretty clear, Ireland all have high GDPs and very low shares of the workforce or labor force that work in agriculture. Whereas on the other end of the, this kind of curve uh, that's, that's drawn out by countries, you see Ethiopia at the very back and Rwanda and Madagascar with very high shares of their labor force in agriculture um, and, and a, uh, a much lower uh, GDP per capita. So we know that as countries move they, they don't all move the same way up this this essentially curve, but they they move in different ways, but they always move to having lower shares of labor working in agriculture and always move towards as as they move towards higher uh, higher GDP. Okay, second fact is that if we look at the ten largest economies in 
um, the developing world, uh, or these are the 10 countries with the largest populations, excuse me, in the developing world between 1996 and 2015, they're all growing at different rates, but uh, they all had a decline in the rural share of their population. We see that that decline is taking place at different speeds, but even in, in Ethiopia, we see noticeable, oh, which has the highest rural population share of, of these countries. Um, even in Ethiopia, it dropped uh, by six, seven, eight percentage points in those 20 years. And, and even uh, in countries that were very urbanized in 1996, like Brazil and Mexico, they, their rural population share is also dropping. So we see, again, that, that um, uh, this is a, a common um, trend throughout the world that rural population share is declining um, as economies are, are becoming better off. Okay, I'm not going to say much in this talk about international migration from because it's a bit more complicated um, than than I want to go through, but uh, particularly from a rural perspective. But I want to say a couple of just a couple of things to to begin with. One is that many small countries really rely a lot on remittances for a substantial share of their GDP. Nepal is a great example, uh, but there even some big ones, big bigger countries like Bangladesh. Uh, receive uh, eight or so percent of their GDP from, from remittances. Um, and, and, you know, along those lines, international migration is a, a pretty important um, feature of several large economies, Bangladesh, Pakistan, the Philippines, Mexico. Um, and uh, recently, um, I've, I've looked at this, I don't have a graph on this in this talk, but um, where there is data, it turns out that international migrants often originate from rural areas. We don't really know if they first step to urban areas or not because the data aren't, aren't really there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of table that for, for now um, in part because it's really hard to look at microdata on this issue and I'll, I'll explain that in a little while. Um, just to show you these, these remittances though as, as a share of GDP for some of the smaller economies, looking at population estimates, again, from the World Development Indicators, um, Look, you know, Nepal had about 30 million people, uh, and remittances over GDP is, is th remittances are 32 percent of their GDP. Um, some of the smaller countries have have similar shares. Um, Haiti uh, through Liberia with 25 to 30 percent, um, and uh, El Salvador at 16 percent is is also quite high. Um, larger economies, as I said, Bangladesh uh, with 160 million people, um, still even remind have 8% of their GDP, which is much larger because of the much larger population uh, coming from, from remittances. Okay, so with those two facts in mind, um, we're gonna kind of switch gears slightly and study youth migration. So as in the rest of my talk, I'm gonna first motivate why do we think youth migration is interesting relative to, um, to just migration, um, or why is it a specifically interesting type of migration? I wanna talk, a, a bit about the data that I'm going to use in the talk, which I think is unique relative to, to other papers on, on really what we're going to call internal migration. I want to talk about what factors lead, then the, really the, the, the meat of what we're, I'm going to talk about are the factors that lead to internal migration by youth um, and what factors matter most. Is it individual household, individual characteristics, household characteristics, or village characteristics that help us predict which types of people migrate? Um, and I'm going to answer a, an, an interesting question, actually, which is how much do youth differ from young adults 
Um, so we're going to look at the same factors among young adults who we're going to call age 25 to 34, and then we'll sum up and, uh, and take questions. So first, why? what we want to know, there's a, a, a substantial interest in what are we going to do with rural youth in development circles right now, meaning um, there's a, a concern that mechanization is reducing jobs throughout the world and um, and we aren't there are lots there's a youth bulge in many countries and we're not 100% sure like where are the jobs going to come from right so that's sort of the the meat of one of the major concerns people have right now well it turns out that youth or rural youth um, are in the process of ma making many life decisions at the same time so migration is potentially one of these decisions but they're making decisions about when to leave school do do I and particularly after you get to about age 15, you think, oh man, school is a drag. I don't really want to be in school anymore. And your parents say, well, you're going to make more money if you stay in school for another year. Um, hopefully they don't use the every for another five years because that's that sounds like a long, way too long of a time horizon. You're making decisions about whether and to whom to marry. Um, you're making decisions about where to live and then where to live. So that, that gets... Uh, rolled up into the question of whether or not to migrate, either for labor or for other reasons, which could be to marriage, uh, to marry or uh, to join the army or, or what have you. Um, and, and then if you do decide to migrate, where is a key decision? Do you stay um, somewhat close to home? Do you stay, do you go to the biggest city in your, your country? Do you go to a secondary city? And these kinds of questions are uh, really kind of crucial in helping, knowing better how these questions can be answers, answered is crucial to policymakers who may want to know um, well where their population is going to live in 10 years so that we can plan uh, how best to, to build roads or plan roads, um, plan new roads, plan new uh, hospitals, et cetera. Okay, so there's a, a big opportunity right now to do better research on these these questions related to either migration in general or youth migration. And that opportunity is that there's a, a number of new panel data sets that have become available, some of which that tracks migrants. Um, and, and these surveys are much, they're both nationally representative and much larger than surveys that were available in the past. So a couple of the sources that, well, I'm gonna use three different types of sources in this talk. Um, one are the LSMS or Living Standards Measurement Survey integrated surveys for in agriculture uh, that are being conducted in Africa, um, and I'm going to use two of those. But also, IFPRI has done some panel surveys in South Asia, in Bangladesh and Pakistan, um, and I'm going to use the Indonesia Family Life Survey as well, which is a, a very rich panel survey that's been taking place in India. The last round was in 2014, and um, I. I think another round may occur, but, but uh, I talked to the survey manager last month and he wasn't sure, um, or they hadn't written a grant yet. Um, so what I'm gonna require for inclusion is, is that I can track individuals in the panel over time. So I'm gonna be able to know, this, this was a requirement for inclusion in this set of surveys. Um, I looked at a much larger set of surveys and there were a number of panel surveys or supposedly panel surveys in which I could not track the individuals, so we had to throw those out uh, from, from 
being used. Um, and then therefore, I'm going to be able to track migrants as a, a flow rather than a stock. And what I want to explain that concept quickly. If we think about, you know, um, any of the three of us sitting in this room, Frank, Evgenia, and myself, none of us, I believe, were born in Washington, D.C. Yep. Uh, they're both nodding at me. And, and all of us have migrated here from somewhere else. Um, so if we thought about the stock of people living in the Washington uh, area, or the DMV, as we like to call it, um, many people were not actually born here, were in migrants in a sense. Um, some of us internationally, some of us uh, are uh, rural urban, or in my case, urban urban or suburban suburban migrants, I guess. Um, what, so the stock of migrants here in Washington is, is quite high. Um, what I'm gonna measure instead in this case is the flow. So I'm gonna be able to determine people who moved between the first survey that I'm studying and the latter survey. And that's how I'm gonna define migration. That allows me to control better for the types of people who uh, stay home versus the types of people who migrate. Um, or, or so we're gonna be able to, to look at the determinants of migration at, using that baseline of people who were at the, the home area uh, to begin with, which is going to give us a little bit of a richer way to look at migration instead of looking at the stock of migrants relative to, say, the the population in a place. Um, this is actually the reason that it's really complicated to study um, international migration in one of these data sets, because no matter what you do, there isn't, no matter how big your data set, uh, the flow of international migration, it turns out, is a little bit of a statistical rarity. So it becomes really hard to find the statistic, the, the migrants. I think the only data set that's listed there that it was reasonably easy was Indonesia. But even in Bangladesh, where there's a lot of migration, there were, there were less than 100. And I believe in Nigeria, there were one or two international migrants that, that we could identify. Okay. So what I'm going to do, so thinking about research questions, um, I want to look at whether there are consistent determinants of migration among youth aged 15 to 24 across this, this set of quite variable countries. Um, and we want to look at it, whether there are consistent individual household or village characteristics that predict later migration. We're going to look at uh, how migration among youth differ from young adults. Um, and then how prevalent are various types of migration, like where do where do people go? So some of the data sets are going to be good for answering that question, but not other ones. Okay, um, I'm going to use a consistent set of variables across surveys, um, which may which is a decision that's made to make tables look better uh, a little bit, but also to make the the analysis very comparable across countries. So it's difficult, for instance, to come up with a consistent set of asset indicators to, to do that because they, the surveys are a little bit different than, from, from one another. Um, a question that I had to ask myself was how to treat age. Um, and uh, I follow, what I decided to do was follow people who should be aged 15 to 24 or 25 to 34 by the final survey used. Um, rather than examining 15 to 24 year olds at baseline. So this is a, a, a question and, and the, the rationale is that 
um, if we look at the substantial, if we look at 15 to 24 year olds at baseline, a lot of them are still in school and they might migrate after their youth. So it makes more sense to, to follow the people and see what the decisions are that they're making after, after, uh, after they've turned 15 to 24 um, relative to uh, at later ages, which are going to differ by survey. Um, I'm going to use their education level in the final survey since many of the younger respondents are still in school um, at, at baseline. Okay. Now, the second question is how to define what we mean by migration. And I'm going to use two different definitions. And one I'm going to call the broad definition and the other narrow for, for, um, uh, for better or for worse. Um, the reason I'm going to use a broad, there are two reasons to use a broad definition, as broad a definition as possible, not just looking at migration for work. Um, and that's because a, a set of papers have shown over time that migration for any reason has economic consequences. So specifically, Rosenzweig and Stark in a, a famous paper a long, long time ago, now 1989, um, that's 30 years, uh, show that the economic rationale to my there's an economic rationale to migrate for marriage. And there's a really nice paper by uh, Kathleen Beagle and co-authors uh, that show that migration for this is using data from Kagera in Tanzania show migration for any reason is correlated with higher consumption. So people who left the village, no matter why they left the village, they're better off if they left the village relative to people who didn't. Not only that, but they show that if you went farther away from the village, you the farther you went, the better off you are. Um, so I'm going to use two different definitions. One is that there is a, a this broad definition, which is any reason, um, and we're going to see very different uh, demographic characteristics. Not surprisingly, um, using that definition, and then I'm going to eliminate people who stated that they reported that they left for marriage or to join family um, elsewhere. Okay, so let's look at some of these migration rates by country. Um, th this, so here I have a graph uh, with the probability of migration by people's um, projected age um, by country. We see that in, uh, this is again, any migration um, by youth. So we see that there are differing patterns by country. Um, people in, for example, Tanzania and Nigeria, um, seem to become more and more likely to migrate as they get older, older in this age range. Um, whereas in um, Bangladesh and, and uh, Indonesia, there's almost a parabol parabolic relationship. As they, they get older, they get more likely to migrate, and then they become less likely. Um, and same thing in, in Indonesia with a peak at, at 20 years old. In Pakistan, we see that there's less migration in general um, and a slightly different pattern. Um, second piece of data I wanna show you is, is are youth more likely to migrate than young adults? And that again varies by country, but in general, you could say that the answer is yes. Um, people in Bangladesh and Indonesia in particular are far more likely to migrate as youth um, than as young adults, if you're calling young adults 20, 25 to 34 year olds. Um, the, it's not so true in Nigeria and Tanzania, they're about the same likelihood and in, in Pakistan, I'm gonna guess we couldn't 
tell you that that's statistically different from one another either, though it seems like people are slightly less likely to migrate as young adults. So youth is actually an important um, time for migration to occur is what this, this graph is telling us. Um, third, I want to show you, this is the, the stark def, def, definitional difference um, by, by the gender of youth migration. So many of these countries uh, are largely patrilineal, meaning that women move at, to get married. Um, there are probably parts of, of particularly Tanzania that are matrilineal. Um, but if we look at, at the share of migrants that are female, uh, using the broad definition, it's always higher. Um, and it's starkly higher in, uh, in Bangladesh and, and Pakistan in particular, although it's higher throughout. So we see that males are more likely to be uh, kind of migrating for economic reasons um, other than for marriage or to, to join family, and females are more likely to be migrating for, for other reasons. Okay, um, where do youth migrants go? Um, so again, uh, there's not much data on international migrants, but we can. there were three surveys where we had good and really good information on where um, any mi youth migrants or migrants in general went, um, Indonesia, Pakistan, and, and in Tanzania. Um, we see that in Indonesia and Pakistan, we see a lot of migration that takes place um, actually within rural areas uh, and sort of surprisingly little my er, rural urban migration that's going to major cities. So what we're seeing is that um, there's actually substantial rural urban migration that's going to secondary cities, we can infer from, from these statistics, uh, which is helpful from a uh, planning perspective. Okay, so let's turn to uh, trying to tease out some uh, results in a multivariate framework. What I'm going to do is regress an indicator variable for somebody who migrates by that the second period, the second data set, on a set of individual characteristics, households characteristics, and village characteristics. Um, the individual characteristics are going to be things like age, the age, it's not a baseline, um, gender, and level of education measured in the final survey. Um, the household characteristics are is I'm largely going to use uh, household consumption in this uh, in this context. I've in the paper there are a couple of other uh, variables, and the the, the um, results are similar um, to what I'm going to show you. Actually, they're they're non-results, so I'm not going to show them to you. And then village characteristics, which include things like population density and land per capita, to see if there are some drivers uh, at the village level that are leading to more people migrating or not. The idea is to tease out some of the most important characteristics for specific, the, the broad or the narrow types of, of migration. Okay, so let's first look at the individual characteristics um, uh, of that, that determine broad migration by youth. Uh, we'll go to young adults uh, at some point. I think we're just gonna look at narrow migration. What I wanna highlight here, the next slide is the same. Oh, I'm gonna highlight here in the box at the top um, note that gender in all cases, once we control for other factors, is, is negatively correlated with, with um, broad migration. That means that uh, women are more likely to migrate in broad terms than men are. 
um, except in Indonesia. Not surprisingly, age has a positive relationship with migration in all of these countries. So as you get older, um, you're more likely to migrate. And um, using no schooling as a as uh, uh, as the base category, we look at um, whether people have less than primary school education, primary school complete, secondary school complete, or more than secondary school. And in general, there's a positive relationship between education um, level and migration. There's a little bit of an anomaly in Pakistan. Okay, um, let's. We're going to highlight that those results, particularly in, in Bangladesh, Indonesia, and, and Tanzania, in this slide. Okay, now I'm going to switch to narrow migration, the narrow migration measure, and and we're going to see a bunch of these characteristics change uh, fairly dramatically. Um, so note that as I switch from, from one to the other, we're going to see two things really happen. And one is that the gender variable becomes, the, the coefficients on the gender variable become positive and, uh, and significant in most countries other than Tanzania, um, which means that once we remove uh, marriage, marriage migration and family, joining family migration, um, from the definition, we see that men are more likely, or bo boys, men, are, are more likely to be migrating. Um, second thing here is that schooling levels, particularly high schooling levels, become more important, um, where people who have secondary school or, or more than secondary school, uh, they also become more, those factors become uh, more important as well. Okay, last thing I want to do in this context is I want to switch to the young adults and see how, how these factors differ. Um, <clears throat> and actually what we see, I'm going to toggle back once more to show, first of all, age doesn't matter anymore whatsoever. Um, so once you're anywhere between 25 and 34, you're equally likely to migrate apparently. Um, the men are far more likely to, to migrate than uh, than uh, the, the women again, um, and these coefficients are bigger in most countries. Uh, and then education becomes less important, with the exception of in Tanzania, where it's it's um, actually more important. Okay, so we find that migration flows are heavily influenced by gender. Males are more likely to to just summarize more likely to leave for non-family reasons. Age matters among youth, but not among young, young adults. Education matters more for youth than young adults as well. And we're seeing um, substantial heterogeneity across countries, which shouldn't surprise us that, that we're seeing this, this heterogeneity based on the, the, um, the earlier statistics. Okay, next question I wanna ask is, is there a relationship between youth migration and household consumption? The, the household consumption measured at baseline. So how well off is the household um, at baseline? And then does that affect the probability that somebody migrates? So this is controlling again for all of those individual characteristics. Um, and I didn't have a consumption measure for Indonesia. Um, so if I look at the probability, one thing we might hypothesize, let's, let's step back and think that we, believe there are credit constraints to migration. So if there were credit constraints to migration, households with lower per capita consumption are going to 
be less likely to migrate than households with um, with higher, somewhere somewhat higher per capita consumption. And we might even hypothesize. Um, in fact, I can think of a, a, a paper on China published in the late 90s, which show, purported to show a, an inverse U shape. So we'd expect an inverse U shape, meaning in this relationship, meaning that poor people are less likely to migrate, they get better off, they become more likely to migrate, and then rich people don't migrate because they have ways of making money uh, that are really good, even, even in agriculture and rural areas. Okay, in only one of the cases do we see anything remotely like that uh, in that parabolic relationship we might, that inverse parabolic relationship we might have expected, which is in Pakistan. And given I've, I've put um, a confidence interval around there and I can draw an infinite number of straight lines. Uh, actually, the, the straight line that's most interesting is the one with no slope that I can draw right through that confidence interval saying that there doesn't seem to be any relationship there. Um, if anything, poor people in other countries seem more likely to migrate, um, which kind of flies in the face of that, that uh, the hypothesis of, of credit constraints. Um, so does that mean that there are no credit constraints against migration? Let's turn back to that thought later because that doesn't recall that I'm using nationally representative data here. What we can say for sure is that there's not much correlation with um, uh, with consumption or for that matter with household demographic com composition or characteristics of the household head. Um, so if anything we're seeing this negative correlation between migration and consumption expenditures, I want to come back to that later. I also want to say that in this this estimation framework, um, there's another hypothesis out there that as people see other people in the village that are better off, uh, they become more likely to migrate. This is called the relative deprivation hypothesis um, that was studied by Stark and Taylor in a very small data set in 1991. And not surprisingly, uh, with these big data sets and this more robust estimation framework, we see no evidence of that relationship at all. Okay. Um, let's turn to, to village characteristics. Um, specifically, we're going to look at the village land per capita, the share of households with off-farm work in a village, which tells us a bit about the um, how robust that local or rural economy is, and then population density where I where I had it. Um, again, in all three of these countries, when I add these variables to the framework, um, there's some evidence in Bangladesh and Pakistan that that characteristics um, matter, but they actually matter in the opposite way we might have expected. Village land per capita, we might think, oh, as land, as, um, oh, actually, that's working the right way. We would have expected that as as places get more dense, people have more like, more densely populated people have more reason to move out. That seems to be the case in Pakistan, but not the other places. Um, the share of households with off-farm work, we might have expected to work the other way with a positive coefficient, and we don't see that um, in Bangladesh. And in Indonesia, we see population density uh, also inversely related to, uh, to migration. So the possible explanation here is that high returns to migration are outstripping anything possible on the farm or near farm in any of these contexts. And so that's why the individual characteristics matter more. Okay. Um, in conclusion, uh, migration, 
just kind of thinking through all of the, the facts we've had, um, migration to secondary cities appears quite important to youth, uh, as well as to, to um, the primary cities. But when we have data, we, we see that there is migration going on to secondary cities. Individual characteristics, notably education, are an important determinant of migration. Um, and that's different among older or young adult migrants, as, as we've termed them. Um, we've seen no or negative correlations between initial household wealth, uh, welfare and youth migration. Um, note that I've, I've only used representative surveys, and there's some really nice papers showing that there are localized credit constraints against migration or that giving people money to migrate uh, has has catalyzed migration in, in, for instance, in Northwest Bangladesh. So this doesn't say that that result is wrong. That's saying that um, that on a in a nationally representative framework, we might miss those localized uh, credit constraints. And it's it may be therefore more pronounced in less uh, densely populated areas uh, or areas that are far more removed from, from urban areas. Okay. Lastly, I want to say that migration is, is really heterogeneous across countries, which you should have seen from all these varying coefficients everywhere, and um, more high-quality data uh, like these, these examples, which shed more light on migrants' experiences in, in more countries. Um, and uh, just to, in, I've included some references that you might want to see uh, as, as part of uh, the talk, and uh, so those will be on the slides, and thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much, Alan. Uh, that was very informative, and uh, we're starting to get some questions right. trickling in. So can I, maybe I'll ask you one uh, a set of two questions that are around your, um, your, your definitions of your, yes. age, your age groups. So there was a, a first question that came in about wondering whether you were able to do any further disaggregation of the, say, within the youth. Of mm -hmm. looking at the say the 15 to 19 and the 20 to 24 oh, yeah. separately now your other your regression results seem to indicate that in some cases that that age within that group matters so yeah. um i guess because the question came in the you know given that there could be different levels of experiences for the younger cohort of that yeah. uh, group and access resources so maybe you can maybe take that and, and explain why that age variable comes out in your regressions as it does in that case and then a second question that's related to age is um, because you've defined it as the groups that the age that they were at the end line yeah. instead of the baseline that means that you may have uh, some say 20 to 24 year old mig migrants in that time period but you they're not captured they're bumped up to the yeah. young adult so have you tried to analyze the the findings using different definitions uh, of that um those are both good questions yeah. at one point i know i did uh the analysis at the 15 to 19 and 20 to 24 year old i think i was trying to do the analysis actually at the specific age uh level so like among i, I know i did 15 to 19 and 20 to 24 year olds and i don't i think the reason that it's not in this talk is that it wasn't all it wasn't as interesting as you'd like it to be basically <laughs> um Mm -hmm. uh, the, the issue here is that there is a big issue, which is that 15 to 19 year olds are far more likely to still be in school right. than 20 to 24 year olds. So right. it's almost worth doing the analysis. And, and then there are, there are also sample size issues that you run into. Um, but these samples are big enough to be able to show those, those individual age uh, um, 
age propensities to migrate without feeling bad about it, which is which is also kind of nice. <laughs> without feeling bad that you're showing, what I mean by without showing bad about feeling bad about it is you're not showing 50 people. Uh, those are a couple hundred. So there's there's some real there's some real meat to those figures. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, so that's a good issue uh, to think about. Um, I thought a lot about the end line versus baseline issue mm -hmm. when I was setting up the paper. And one of the, so one of the issues you run into is that people are misclassified in one survey versus the other. And, um, and that's actually a big reason that we threw out surveys was because you end up with 30% in one case, um, misclassified, or where you don't really just don't know how old the person is because 30% didn't follow like a, a pattern that you'd expect versus say, these these surveys that I've used, we only have one or 2% at most. Um, and, and most mm. is probably Nigeria in this case. I, I mean, the Indonesia one is, is extremely careful, for instance. Um, I, I guess, the reason we decided to do, we thought about trying to track when people migrated, but I don't think it's always in the data. And, and so that became the real reason that I think I didn't try to track when they migrated, like did they migrate when they were actually youth or not. That said, I don't think it's that bad uh, in all the surveys. It's hard to remember uh, the work we did with five different surveys, of course, as well. Good. Thanks. A question came in about, uh, they were, you know, they, uh, on the graphs that you had looking at the, the, mm -hmm. the, met, the proportion of female migrants, according mm -hmm. to your broader or narrow definition. So actually there was, there, was the, there was just a comment that they were kind of surprised about the high level of female migration. I think you have explained it by like largely by marriage or family, yeah. but you might want to expand on that. But maybe in sure. that line also, we noticed that actually in the case of Tanzania, it's not the case that there's a lot of high proportion of yeah. women migrating even That's right. in the narrow definition. Do you have any uh, insights as to why that might have happened in that particular case? Uh, <laughs> why? Why? No, I don't really have a, a, a good mm. sense of why. Um, I mean, I, I would guess I would speculate that that the society is a bit different. We have a lot of, uh, actually, a lot of the other countries are all fairly substantially Muslim, um, so they're going to be a bit more uh, stuck in traditional gender roles um, than Tanzania. Tanzania, not to say there's no Muslim influence in in Tanzania, but they're 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 uh, it's not as big as in the other four countries actually in this case. Um, I yes, I, I shouldn't. What I tr tried to explain is that in rural areas that follow patrilineal um, traditions, what happens is women usually when they decide to get married or um, someone decides for them that they're going to get married. They tend to move to another location, um, another either another village, so that would be a rural to rural type of migration, or to a, a secondary city or or, or a low, uh, a more uh, like a county seat or something. So the the 
we, the female migration, it, it shouldn't surprise us that we see a lot of female migration in, in this age range because a lot of people aren't married when they're 15 and a lot of people are married by the time they're 24. So um, that's, I think, that I think helps explain why we see that with that broad definition. A couple other questions I had mm -hmm. um, around kind of the definition of, uh, of migration. So is is migration for education of uh, something that you can yes. learn about in your data sets and is that important? So yes, um, so what'll happen is, so yes, people will migrate to go to a better school, a, a school that they have mm -hmm. access to for whatever reason in another area. What you what often the problem is is that people will have migrated to that place and maybe they're coded as being an educational migrant, right? But then they stayed there and got a job there. So then, what do we call that? Um, right. What do we call that yeah, kind yeah, of migration? Yeah. And it's it's much easier to and that happens all the time, right? But, but you yeah. you see that all the time in in um, developing countries. So instead of trying to classify, that's why I have this broad and the narrow definition. I didn't want to classify those people as specifically non-labor migrants when, you know, they were probably labor migrants to begin with. They just went to school for three years to, to start with. Good. Yeah, that's that's helpful. And then because you've you've noticed the uh, you've noted the importance of rural to rural migration, does that uh -huh. mean also that there's returning migrants coming in the house? Right. Um, that's a good question. Um, there, there are, there often are returning migrants. Um, I haven't studied that in this paper, so that would be something that one could imagine uh, trying to to look at it in further work on using these data, these types of data sets, because you'll see the the return ease. Um, the problem, though, again with with this type of data set is somebody may have migrated. Um, we did write, we wrote a paper for the LSMS a long, about 10 years ago, where we tried to uh, include modules that people could use to try to track return, people who left and then returned. The problem you, you might run into is people may have left, have been there in the first survey, left, returned, and you never know that they were ever right. migrants. Right. So you need a survey module to, to study that. Yeah. Um, and you can find that on the World Bank website or, or email me if you want to see a survey module. About that. Good. So then uh, one uh, a question came in about whether you could, um, <clears throat> since you noticed that you noted that there was two, at least two different types of significant migration. One is rural to rural and one rural mm -hmm. to secondary towns, at least. Yeah. You might have high numbers of samples. Did you try to look at those decisions separately at all? I, yeah, I have. Not in large part because um, <laughs> when I was writing the paper, uh, it was it was pushed in a different direction. That's an, an interesting issue. the the uh, The issue, though, is that you don't have it for all of the surveys, and so I was trying to okay. keep a lot of the analysis as as similar as possible across the five countries. Although that's one where I think you're right; it's really kind of interesting to see, mm -hmm. like. Are there differences between the rural, rural, and, and the rural, right. any rural, urban kind of migration? Right. I think there are probably samples to, to show that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, that what comes to mind, perhaps, on, related to that question, was perhaps 
the, the education level might vary, that that might be yeah. more likely for, to drive people to a town rather than right. a rural level. Um, so um, good. So let me now let me come to some of the the results. Uh, yep, findings that you had, I guess. So one one question was about uh, somebody noted that in many other studies they seems to show that relative deprivation does, let's say, of the, the local characteristics uh, maybe drive people out. Maybe it's poor soils or other kinds of things that, you know, you didn't find much in the in your village characteristics. Uh, and so I, so uh, that person was a bit, bit surprised that you didn't find the same so much on the village right. characteristics. But maybe that comes, maybe that's related to the sets of variables that you had at your disposal. Or it could be. Um, there, there may be two, two answers to that. Question. One is that I think a lot of other studies haven't been able to control as well uh, for baseline characteristics as I'm able to here. And that's one of the reasons that other studies find relative deprivation results that are spurious, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, in terms of the, this, it, that's one possibility. Mm -hmm. A second possibility is that relative deprivation deprivation doesn't matter to youth, but it matters to other potential, other, other types of migrants. Um, second um, point on like people being driven, uh, pushed to migrate by poor soils or something along those lines. Similarly, uh, that may be a bigger factor in um, explaining migration in general than in in terms of youth migration. I think once you focus on the youth, it, sound, it seems to me that their individual character, I'm going to stick to this, I think that people who, the, the kids who become more educated are, and and have the right types of characteristics are going to be more likely to be finding themselves a way to migrate than others, even holding other things constantly. Okay, good. So then, uh, kind of a related question. <clears throat> a couple that came in and was <clears throat> were asked about the different roles of other possible um, explanatory variables. So again, yeah, that'll... Like, <laughs> of course, we're always looking for those. Yep, that's right. Um, so in particular, it was whether there was a possibility to get some information about infrastructure, local infrastructure, whether that had any kind of motivating factor, you know, the roads, access to yep. electricity, those kinds of things. Similar and similar vein to the last question. The other thing was about uh, perhaps looking at some social variables like marriage rates. Uh, I mean, you know, whether those kinds of things could be useful and yeah. available. And then also on the pull, maybe the pull side or the incentive side was, did you look at all at uh, different kinds of policies that governments may have in place to help, which might be in support of, of migration? So, um, that could, those could be a factor. Right. Uh, this is always a fun yeah. topic with migration <laughs> research because you can never control for everything and there, there aren't really that many randomized experiments. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at policies. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting one. Um, uh, in terms of like things like marriage rates and infrastructure, I'm pretty sure in most of the regression results, um, I have village fixed effects in, mm. in them. So essentially when you're looking at those age results mm -hmm. I'm controlling for that I back off of that uh, to show you the I backed off of that I, I, I'm almost sure uh, this is how the analysis went uh, it's been a little while um, only for the looking at those village characteristics oh, okay, um, right. so the, those that's when I backed off and used more like regional or, or, or 
province level fixed effects instead of the village level fixed effects. But I'm pretty sure in most of the regressions, there are village fixed effects to, to absorb that variation. Um, it would be, that said, um, I could look again at the surveys to see if things like infrastructure were available. Marriage rates, one could theoretically um, construct from the data depending upon how you wanted to, def the marriage rate, I think there are a million different ways that I can think of, or at least a few that I can define, think of de defining it. And so it would be harder to, to, to think about, uh, at least, it's, it's a, a not the most uh, obvious. Since there are a lot of different ways to define that, it's hard to say, think of how, how you would define that in a convincing manner to, to right. put in a regression. Right. Yeah, one one actually one one thing related to the village characteristics. So you didn't find that land per capita had much significance. Um, some other studies um, by colleagues, when they look at it at the individual household level, have found more of a relationship between, say, expected land uh, yep. inheritance and and motive and reason to migrate. So I was wondering in your data set, did you actually have also at the household level that same variable or not? A land per capita. Um, there, yeah, I think we did look at it at the mm -hmm. household level. I don't think it was it was significant. Okay. Um, yeah, because we we must have. Must have. So again, it could be a difference between having national samples and it could be nationally representative, and it could be like in yeah. specific areas. If, right. If that, I, just, I think it, it 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 there are certainly variables that I think could matter in local areas, but they when you want to make broad, if you think about policy or or migration in a more broad sense, it doesn't necessarily matter. So um, you, there was a couple of questions related to a, like uh, understanding this the, the characteristics around migration a little bit better that I know wasn't necessarily part of your study, but uh -huh. maybe you can point to others. So a, a question came in about whether we know um, what do we know about how decisions are made? Is it an individual decision, a household decision? That's a great question. Those kinds of things. And is there you had shown some. Uh, 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 information on remittances, uh -huh. um, which came from a different data set. That did, yeah. Um, but is, in your data sets, is there any information on remittances? And uh -huh. is it able to? Are you able to tell from whom that's coming from? Is it from the young adults or the youth? Uh, right. Good question. Those are great questions. Um, when I don't know, uh, actually, in any of these five data sets, whether there's micro remittance data, hmm. um, I didn't look. For it, so I don't, I don't actually know, um, because we didn't, we we didn't study that. Um, in terms of how the decisions are made, that's a great question, and my sense is that there's a bit of a, I think it's a combination. It's not easy to model. It's between a combination between an individual making decisions and a, a household making decisions. So. Maybe not surprisingly, if you think about any anybody who has a 15 to 24 year old, whether they're the decisions aren't necessarily all their own. They need to know how much the household, their parents, I guess, are going to insure them um, if things go wrong. They need to um, they need to know how sure they are that there is going to be an opportunity at the other at the destination, or uh, even what the types of destinations are. So I think it's very much, there's, there are individual aspects to the decision and there are household and even community aspects to the decision. So if like 
uh, I know the, the China example best, but like if you're finishing middle school in China and you're in a village and you and half your villages in Shenzhen working in factories, um, you know how to get a job right. in yeah. Shenzhen. So you go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and we actually had a question about the network. Uh, and and, yeah. and um, yeah, so I haven't studied networks in this particular paper, but I've studied in other other papers. Uh, a, a lot of times, these migration decisions, particularly not the marriage or the follow family decisions, are being made through networks. And um, yeah, again, that that was a little bit beyond what I was doing in, in this case, but. Uh, you see the the networks really matter to uh, determining where people go. I think uh, in a paper John Giles and I did, um, we showed that 45% of Chinese migrants knew somebody at the destination. No, not just somebody, knew a family member at the destination before they went. So that just kind of underscores how, um, I mean, that's, that's having a, a relatively close relative at the destination really helps, but then knowing somebody from the village helps uh, as well. And so that's that's driving, I think, a lot of that, right? those decisions. Maybe two questions that are, that are linked about how improving our understanding through better data. So uh -huh. you've made use of the kind of standard questionnaires that have been going out and um, not necessarily for the purpose of studying migration, right. yet they're useful for it, but is, are there some other kinds of questions that could be just added to those standard ones that would be greatly beneficial for migration right. research? That's, so that's one question. Uh -huh. And then a second one is that you were just talking about some, uh, you know, understanding a bit more about the characteristics of where they go. Uh -huh. And I know that these surveys don't necessarily follow people when they leave the, the household, but are there some Good panels being developed that actually study the, both the, the, what's happening in the sending village plus what's happening in no, that's, the places that, where people are going. A lot of yeah. the data sets I used here, not all of them, but okay. the, definitely the Tanzania um, and the Indonesia, uh, both are tracking people to okay. where they went, and yeah. and so that it, it's okay. kind of complicated to figure out where where they are. I think the um, I, I'd have to look again at the Pakistan one, but I think it did some, because it's, I think it was every year for a few years. So I think they were actually doing some some work tracking people as well. Um, maybe not the whole household, but uh, something along those lines. Um, and the Malawi, the Malawi ISA data has tracked people as, as well. I, I've been meaning to add it, but it hasn't happened oh, okay. yet to, to this paper. Um, it got dropped for, for various reasons. Um, <coughs> largely because it's too close to Tanzania for, for the uh, donor. Um, <laughs> the, um, so, so yes, there are some tracking surveys. Uh, thinking about improving our understanding through better data, uh, one thing that is sort of, uh, one thing that could be done, and I can send a link to this to anybody who's interested, is to look at the survey modules Gerald Carletto and I put together a number of years ago, again, for the LSMS program, where uh, we basically thought through uh, all the types of migration that could be occurring um, how and how you might track that through a survey and, and did a, a large survey review. So I think it's an underutilized resource, actually, at this point. So. A question came in that, uh, to, want to 
posed the question whether there's anything we could say about vulnerability of migrants. I guess, you know, you, we, you, you started off the presentation by saying a voluntary, but our, maybe, the, you know, there was a question whether, you know, when the, observing such large numbers, say, of mm -hmm. migrating, whether that's, uh, whether it's strictly voluntary or if there could be other um, factors involved. So there are certainly other, I mean, there are other fact. What I mean by voluntary versus un involuntary migration is that people uh, in more like refugee situations are leaving because of, uh, people are leaving because of risks that they foresee at, at home. That's a, a factor that, that leads to migration and maybe they don't, properly perceive the risks that they're going to um, uh, experience at the destination. But what I, when people feel there is a risk to their personal, a, a sort of grave risk to their personal safety, that's when we see what I would call involuntary migration taking place and, and refugee situations um, occurring. Um, what I, I've, stated some grand statistics about uh, um, migration migrants making people better off when they they move you have to remember that that that's on average um, so on average people become twice as well off when they when they migrate uh, averages are averages so there are always people who don't do better when they they migrate and that's to some extent what I mean by are they People who are who are probably more vulnerable and are able to migrate from rural areas may be more vulnerable when they get to the urban areas, in part because they don't have that insurance um, policy, which is going back home uh, to to fall back on. It's it's not that much better at home, um, but the evidence on the on the average is extremely uh, positive for migration, whether it's internal or international. Oh, that's good. So a related question was you had presented this graphic about the difference between male and female migration uh -huh. for the youth. Yeah. Now, do you see something similar for the young adults? No, it's not similar for the young adults. So the, the young adults are much more likely to already have been married. So okay. there isn't as much of a, a similar so the broad and the narrow ones are, are, are far far closer i think and, and that's that makes it more interesting to show among the youth right the right young adults. so then, so in that case then it's really is more male dominated it becomes more male dominated that's right good no that's very good um so maybe in terms of uh, uh like follow-up with with this is there um are there i, I guess you so you've on this particular paper, what you were asked to do, and what you've done very well, is look at the determinants of migration. Yes. And then you haven't necessarily looked at the impacts, but perhaps that could be done and it's simply the same data. Yeah, actually, um, oh, I haven't looked at them in these data sets. I've written a review paper that's uh, on the previous slide, okay. which is at the top coming out this, this uh, year in the annual review of resource economics, which talks about the implications for rural livelihoods of migration out of rural areas. Um, both thinking about like how do migrants it, that the paper really goes uh, into a lot of the, uh, the the outcomes, looking at whether it affects agricultural productivity or pro production, which is always a concern. Um, if people, if the, the productive people are moving out, does that affect agricultural production? Um, the answer is no. It doesn't seem to. 
uh, and then also on on how does it affect risk profiles and, and, and incomes um, in rural areas. So that that would be interesting to follow up in uh, the context of these kind of nationally representative data sets with this more robust uh, framework. Um, it's complicated, but but it could certainly be done. Right, great. Maybe one last question I have for you. So I've <coughs> obviously been um, putting these results out into the global discourse right. of migration, which is very valuable as we've seen that there's a lot of different yes. results that are found and, and that a lot of assumptions being made in, in, the, in the global discourse yes. about migration. Um, at the national level, you so one of the findings is that the results differ across countries. Yes. A bit. Not all not all of them, but some no, of them but do. And so then is there are there um, ways and means of trying to get these uh, results put into national level policy discourses or are there mechanisms and partnerships for, for doing that? Um I, they I, yes, there certainly are. Um, it, it would in this context we were trying to go kind of at a global right. level. Um, but it's certainly, I think, interesting to note uh, for national governments when they have higher or lower rates relative to the, the average. What I, I mean, to me, I think the, the way that these results might be most useful is in terms of thinking about planning, um, development planning, because uh, as I was saying before, really the what we care about from our infrastructure's perspective is not where we are now, but where we need to be 10 years from now. And, or that's what we should be worrying about. And um, in rapidly growing contexts, uh, it's easy to, to build infrastructure that becomes useless five years later. And we'd like to see, I think it would be worthwhile, um, I mean, think of all the Chinese, the rural Chinese schools that are out there uh, with the one, with, um, the taxation on the second child that led people not to have the second child uh, there are there's a lot of misused infrastructure and I think we could be if we knew a bit better how both our demographics were changing but how um, how they're moving as well we'd be able to that would help governments with plans for for following years so I think that's the way we should think about getting this into the development discourse at the national level great well, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Alan. I found it uh, very informative. I'm, I'm always a big fan of these cross-country uh, comparisons <laughs> uh, because they really help us to understand really what's generalizable and not. Right. And, yes. <laughs> and so that's very valuable to uh, adding to our knowledge base. So thank you once again, and thanks to everybody online. And uh, you can look at our, up on our website, and you'll see the, uh, the recording there shortly. Uh, thanks again. Thank you.